So we are, we are in this series, uh, this is only the second lesson, called Recalibrate, and we're studying the minor prophets, which uh, if, if you turn to the, the back of the uh, Old Testament, which is kind of the middle of the Bible, um, the last 12 books of the Old Testament are called the minor prophets. They're called the minor prophets because for the most part they're shorter. But we're spending the time uh, this semester looking at different passages from them to kind of understand how God, speaking through these prophets, we're calling his people to a better understanding of who he is, calling his people to a better understanding of what it means to live out their faith in him, what it means to follow God. And we're doing this particularly because for many of us, not, not for all of us, and, and I'm grateful for the fact that not all of you uh, were raised in, in churches, that some of you are coming to Christ um, as, as adults, as college students, but for many of us, we were raised around church, we were raised around youth groups, our parents and grandparents were Christians, and we were kind of raised in, 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 a, in a relationship to God. And what happens with any long-term relationship is you fall into assumptions, you fall into habits, you fall into routines that start to take the place of true love, that start to take the place of a true understanding. You kind of stop seeking to know the person, in this case, in your religious life, God, at a deeper level, because you think that because you went to VBS and you got stickers, that you really understand God. And what's happening in the Minor Prophets over and over again is that the people of Israel thought they understood God because they were His chosen people. He gave them the law. And what we find out is that they misunderstood Him. They misunderstood what it meant to follow Him. And so what we're doing is just looking at these passages, looking at how God calls them back to a true understanding, calls them to recalibrate their understanding of Him and relationship. And we're doing that by looking at select passages um, from the Minor Prophets. We will be in the book of Jonah today, which is a Minor Prophet, um, and, and you can turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4 or on your phones. Uh, the text we're looking at will not be on the screen. But let me tell you that, that a little unusual for me is that the Scripture is one of the last things we're going to look at today um, because what I have to say is more important. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, uh, we're, I, what, what needs to happen for you to really understand Jonah, for you to understand what's going on there, I need us to spend some time to understand a mentality that we fall into. And, and to begin this, I, I need to start with something that is just crazy that I'm about to say this, okay? And this is not crazy to you, but it's going to be crazy to, to April and to Mac and Laura and Mike. But for most of you, I can't believe I'm saying this, you don't have a memory of 9-11. Isn't that crazy? Like many of you were like infants, right? Who, who, was, uh, who was above the age of four, 9-11-2001? Okay, who was, uh, who, was, uh, who was four and under on 9-11? Okay, so that... <laughs> wow, okay. So, do you, uh, you, okay, Jamie. <laughs> All right, so that's, I got to say, that, that, that blows my mind. Like, I can't believe that. But uh, let me have your, let, let me have your attention. Good, good. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad you're thinking this through, checking your birthday. <laughs> Some of you are figuring out I was born on this year. It's, right. uh, so here's the thing. Um, if, if you were kind of uh, um, mostly cognizant, if you were doing more than like watching uh, Barney right, in 2001 or whatever you watched back then, um, here's, here's what happened. I can remember uh, being called into my school's uh, kind of auditorium. I went to a Christian school, and, and they announcing to us, that the, the two towers had been hit by airplanes. They thought it was a terrorist attack, explaining the situation. And I remember just the feeling of fear. 
Because all of a sudden, we were vulnerable. All of a sudden, we had been attacked and, and thousands of Americans were killed on our soil. And if you were around then, what happened with that fear, it it turned into anger. And so suddenly, you would not have been... See, before that point, I would not have been nervous about being around a Muslim. But after September 11, 2001, every single Muslim was all of a sudden someone that could kill us. They became the enemy. They became the other. They became our opponents. You don't, you, again, I know you don't remember a lot of this. You've probably heard about this. But th- there were multiple news stories about Muslim people, like women and children, being accosted and insulted. People didn't want mosque in their town. Why? Because if they were coming to our town, they were going to blow us up. If they were coming to our town, our wife and kids would be killed. There was this fear. I, I, um, I graduated in 2003, our senior trip, two years later, to, uh, you know, a year and a half later. We were not allowed to, do, to plan certain trips because of the fear of a terrorist attack. A year and a half later, cruise ships were off because there was a concern they could hit cruise ships. So we couldn't go on a cruise. We couldn't go out of the country. There was that kind of fear in our country. And it taught me how quickly we get into us versus them mentality. Because suddenly, every Muslim in the U.S. was an enemy, was an opponent, was a threat. Even if it was a woman, even kids. And it changed the way that we looked at things. It taught me how easily we as humans will will, will fall into these us versus them mentality where people are, are different than us, they're threats to us, they're not like us, and we don't want to even want to hear them out. We don't want to be their friends. And if you can kind of put yourself in that situation, you would understand what it would be like to be a Jewish person and thinking about Assyria or Nineveh, right? If you might have grown up in VBS where it's like, uh, go to Nineveh, go, you know, right? That's on the right key. Uh, and, and, and right, so Jonah was supposed to go where? The elite students in Alabama. Uh, yes, he was supposed to go. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. Very good. Um, and so, huh? Yeah, grad student. You, yeah, you're gonna pass that pharmacy test now, man. Uh, so, so yeah, Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria, for much of the Old Testament, was a frightening, frightening nation. They were powerful. They had an amazing military. The first professional military in world history was Assyria. The first military that had, this seemed, might not seem like a big deal, but had, that had boots, right? <laughs> they made military boots. Um, it, it was enormous. It was professionalized, and, and, and they could fight year-round, where previously the kings you know, kind of took volunteers, and they fight during certain seasons. And so they could wipe out civilizations, and they were bloodthirsty. They were violent pagans. When they would go into towns, they would kill almost everybody, and deport others. If you didn't immediately surrender, almost everybody would be executed. There's one story from their own histories um, where, where they talk about how they go to a town um, kind of uh, close in Saudi Arabia. It had rebelled against them. And so they took the town leaders. They built a pillar. They built a pillar, um, uh, the, the Assyrians, once they reconquered, they built a pillar, um, a kind of a monument to their nation. And they buried some of the leaders in, alive inside the pillar when they were building it. They flayed other officials 
alive, you know, literally took their skin off and covered the pillar with their skin. And then on top, they crucified, because they've probably been crucified, they crucified, um, or something like that, the other town officials. They ruled with fear. They were such a violent, aggressive uh, country that there's a whole book of the Bible, Nahum, that is dedicated to how evil they are. Okay? Can you imagine that you're such a bad person that God thought, I'm going to spend one book out of 66 just talking about how bad you are. And that's, that's how bad they are. Uh, we throw up Nahum 3.1. You can s- No, that doesn't like Nahum. <laughs> there. Ah, <laughs> uh, see. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah. So woe to the woe to the. So this is about Nineveh. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. That's that's how God describes Nineveh. That's how God describes the capital of Assyria. One scholar describes the book of Nahum as a book that's saying that the arrogant capital of the evil Assyrian Empire is going to be destroyed. So a whole book is written with the theme that God's going to destroy Nineveh, and Nineveh is where Jonah is supposed to go. So the most powerful country in this region, the most violent people, who you were at a constant threat of invasion, and they did invade um, um, uh, Israel. They did deport the people. They were vicious. And Jonah's told to go preach there. And so Jonah, like a good Jewish person, would have seen them as the others, as the enemy, as the opponent. There's us and there's them, and I don't want to go to them. Because of social and political reasons. For all the reasons that we had, and they were wrong, but all, I mean, we shouldn't have had this mentality, but all the reasons that, that kind of uh, uh, created the mentality in the U.S. in 2001 and 2002 and 2003 of there's an us versus them with any Muslim because of an attack, that mentality multiplied times 100, and that's what's happening. You look at the Assyrian Empire, you look at its capital, Nineveh, and they are the opponents. And God is saying, go preach there. So I think from a human standpoint, Jonah is, is well within his rights to assume that they're the enemies, they're the other people, they're not the people that I relate to. They're not the people that are like me. They don't have, um, the, they, they don't have the culture I have. They're not from the same ethnicity. They don't have the same morals that I have. They're vicious. They're pagan. They're bloodthirsty and they're a threat. And as so often happens when you are a believer... When you fall into an us-versus-them mentality, socially or politically, guess what it begins to affect? Your religious views. They're the opponent. They're the enemy. They're not like me. So they're, never the type of per- they're not the type of people that would follow my God. They're not the type of people that would listen to the message of God, to the Word of God. They're not the type of people that I want to go to to share the gospel with. You see, what happens is that you start drawing boundaries about people, us versus them, opponents, and you start drawing religious boundaries there too. I mean, part of what's going on with Jonah is Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because they're the them, they're the other, and that means that he doesn't want them to follow God. He doesn't think they're the type of people who should follow God, right? And so, 
when, when, when we have these us versus them mentality, they begin to affect how we think about other people. And we begin to think that God's love and compassion is limited. That God's love and compassion doesn't apply to them. God's love and compassion doesn't apply to the Muslims in 2002. God's love and compassion doesn't apply to the Ninevites and whenever this was. We start to draw these boundaries. Think about the parable of the Samaritan. You had religious people walking by and thinking that, that their compassion, their religious compassion didn't extend to this person for whatever reason. They were unclean or whatever. And Jesus criticizes them because he says, you've misunderstood the compassion of God by not going to that person. And see, what happens to us is that so often we begin, once we fall in these us versus them, we begin to limit God's compassion and his love to other people. But we're nuanced, right? Because we are good Christians and we grew up in VBS and we know that God is love and God loves everybody and He created everybody. And so the way that we do it isn't none of us. None of us say, and by the way, Jonah would not have said that God is not a God of love. That's not how we start to divide politically. That's not how, I mean, religiously. That's not how we do the us versus them. Instead, what begins to happen is we think that they're the type of people who wouldn't respond or wouldn't be good religious people, so we don't even go to them. Their problems or their culture or their sin or their political allegiances or their beliefs are such that they're just not going to be interested. They're not the type of person. And so we don't go to them. We don't practically extend God's love and compassion because we've already categorized them as people who are are not going to respond to that. They're different than us. And it's so funny how we do that. I say funny but sad. So there are people that you don't approach because you don't think they're going to respond to God's love and compassion. So that removes your obligation to take God's love and compassion to them. Right? Are you tracking me? There's people that you begin to assume that because their struggles look a certain way, they're, not, they're never going to respond to God. And, and, and here's what happens internally, and sometimes you'll speak this, it becomes this kind of, yeah, but, conversation. Yeah, I, I know I'm addicted to porn, but I'm not a sex addict, right? Sex addicts, they don't respond to God this way. Yeah, I know that I've, under, I've drunk as an underage person, but I, I'm not an alcoholic, right? I'm not partying every weekend. People in that scene, they're not really wanting to hear the message of God. See, suddenly, suddenly we've drawn this line where we don't go to them because they're not going to respond. And so practically, even though abstractly and theologically we know that God loves them, practically we don't live out that love and compassion amongst them because they're not going to respond. They're not like us, Right? Yeah, I know that that I have some beliefs that don't track with the scriptures, but they vote for so-and-so, or they believe this, or they think this. They're never going to be the type of person who approaches us. And what happens, we turn these people into opponents instead of objects of God's love and compassion and practice. I can remember a few years ago, I was studying with a Muslim friend of mine, and he brought one of his friends And that friend was completely resistant 
we were reading the Gospel of Mark. Everything we'd read, he would, he would just kind of attack, criticize. And so that guy became the opponent. And I was thinking about this today. I was thinking how in that moment, in that moment, the friend that I'd studied with for weeks, the Muslim from Iraq, he was someone I was trying to convince him that God loves him, that God wants a relationship with him. This other guy became a, an, an opponent that I needed to defeat, that I needed to protect, that was antagonistic towards me. Now, mind you, here's a guy that took the time out of his day when he was a graduate student to come read the Bible with me, but he became an opponent because of his beliefs, right? And we do this over and over again. You might have been in... I mean, think about... It's, om, it's frustrating because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I have a very close uh, um, a person in my life who's very, very faithful. But there's a lot of, of missionary activity to countries that, they, that this person does not think should happen. And if you ask them why, they would say this. Because they, that, that country or that culture has not accepted the gospel yet. Haven't they had opportunities? Now, think about, think about how, how, how this works. We don't want to take the gospel to these people because, well, they're not Christians. So we don't go. And since we don't go, they're not Christians, which is evidence that we shouldn't go. Right? Now, that's, that, I'm doing that on like a world scale, but think about how often we do that in our lives. Think about how often we just assume these people are going to say no to the gospel. We don't want to go. We don't want to share God's love and compassion to them. And because we don't go, we don't talk to them, we don't, we don't address their beliefs with them, there's no converts from that group. And then we use that as evidence that, well, they're just not the type of people who would listen. Um, I, I um, am a minister, and uh, prior to this, I was an intern, believe it or not. And I was interning uh, at the place I was doing my master's in philosophy. And I was interning primarily because it's a great source of money and respect and prestige, as Ben and Marley would tell you. And, um, and so here's what happened. I had these two lives. I was a master's student in philosophy with a lot of people who didn't believe in God. On the other hand, I was teaching every week people the Bible. And as I reflect back, in, back on that time, I, I would have Bible studies with people in one venue with non-Christians, talk to them. But amongst my classmates in philosophy, I, I never really talked about my faith much. It was a low point in my faith for several reasons. But in the back of my mind, they're not going to respond, right? I mean, they're philosophy students. They're atheists. Everything I say, they're going to criticize. Philosophy students are annoying. I was annoying. And so I didn't share the gospel with them. So guess what? How many of them do you think became Christians? Zero. But guess what? Philosophy people aren't the type of people who become Christians, right? Now here's the crazy thing. I'm a Christian and I was a philosophy student. <laughs> that was crazy. And two of my professors were Christians. But I was assuming that they were the type of people, they were the type of people who didn't convert. They were the type of people who didn't believe. And I, and I, and I would bet that in your Life. I know this is a drawn-out introduction. We're getting close to New Jonah. But I would bet that in your life, there are people that because of, of, of their behaviors, because of their addictions, because of their political beliefs, because of their ethnicity, because of their background, that you don't think that they're really going to convert. And so you never live out the love and compassion of God to them. You never take the love and compassion of God to them. Not because you don't think that God is love, but because you don't think they're going to respond. So in practice... You cut them off from it, right? You think that they're, in effect, beyond the love and compassion of God. 
And so you don't say anything to them. One, one more thing is just a kind of a prelude to Jonah. Okay, I promise the Jonah bit's very short. But just one thing is prelude. Is notice how this kind of plays out. This is just parenthetical, but notice how this plays out. That the people, I, I would bet that for those of you who have shared the gospel or talked about your faith to friends, I would bet that it's often people who are a lot like you. Right? Because you've responded to the gospel, and if they're enough like you, then you think there's a good chance that they're going to respond to the gospel. If they have sins kind of like yours, then they're in. You know, they'll, they'll probably convert. If they have beliefs kind of like yours, then they'll convert. You're probably way more likely to share the gospel with a white, southern, conservative person than you are with a Muslim from Iraq. Because you think that someone just like you is more likely to respond. But notice the practical effect of that. That we, the kingdom of God only spreads to people just like you, not, not to the boundaries of God's love and compassion. Let me phrase another way, that God, the kingdom is limited in that case by the people who are enough like you. You see what's going on? Do you see how this affects things? Do you see how all of a sudden the us versus them mentality, people are different, people are different, people aren't like me, they don't have my beliefs, that that begins to seep into your religious life and in effect, I'm not talking about theoretically, I'm not talking about theologically, I'm just saying in effect, you begin to limit the love and compassion of God and think about it from their standpoint. If you say that God loves everyone and God is compassionate to everyone, why in the world aren't you sharing with me? They have to feel like we feel we believe like God's love isn't available to them, right? Because we're not telling them about it. And so if you get how this works in, in the life of a religious person, in your life, you begin to see the kind of effects it has in, in how you live out the love and compassion of God, of who you take the love and compassion of God to. And it helps you understand what's going on with the story of Jonah. If the only thing you know about Jonah is what you learned in VBS, you don't know the book of Jonah. Because the, the whole well incident, right? You get swallowed by a large fish. That, that, that is done with, and Jonah still has two more chapters. It's a four-chapter book, like, right? So if your knowledge or you think the substance of Jonah has to do with that whole, he got swallowed by the fish and spit out, then you're missing it. So what we know about Jonah, I mean, what, 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 what many of us know if you grew up is you know that Jonah was a prophet and Jonah was called to, to, to go and proclaim a message from God to the people of Nineveh and he didn't want to go and he got on a ship and the ship uh, got in a bad storm so they threw, he, he kind of volunteered to be thrown overboard so they wouldn't sink uh, and then he gets swallowed by fish and, and, and then he kind of has a religious experience and he gets spit out and he goes to Nineveh and he preaches, Right? In chapter 3, he preaches to Nineveh, and he goes throughout, and he says, in 40 days, God is going to destroy Nineveh. That's, that's his message, right? It's a lovely evangelistic message. 40 days, you're all going to die. Uh, and he, he goes around, it takes him a few days to get around, because Nineveh is such a large city. And he's preaching to this awful, this bloodthirsty, rebellious, pagan city. And then, they repent. At the end of chapter 3, which is only 10 verses long, at the end of chapter 3, the people of Nineveh repent. Hey, will you throw up the map of Assyria? Um, just so you kind of know what we're talking about. See Assyria, you see Nineveh kind of in the upper quad, you know, right quadrant. Uh, that's it. 
He's preaching there. That's what I want you to see. That's it. That's a lesson. Uh, turn it off. Um, and so they, uh, so here's the thing. They, they repent. And you would think that this is a good thing. Now, here's something else I, w- I want you to know. That if you think that this story is even about obeying God, then you've kind of missed it. Because Jonah obeys God. Right? He doesn't at first. He runs. He gets swallowed by a fish. That's kind of enough to change his mind. He, he then obeys God. They repent. Guess what? The story's not over. Why? Because Jonah isn't even about that. Jonah has a different message, the book of Jonah. So turn to Jonah chapter 4. Sorry. So in Jonah chapter 4, this is after they, they've repented. And by the way, they repented and God deci- decided not to destroy them. And in, in chapter 4, verse 1, and this, by the way, is the true heart of Jonah, uh, the heart of the message of Jonah, and I think even a little weirder than the whole fish story, okay? Just prep, prep you for that. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. So what seemed wrong? No. What seemed wrong? Mercy. It seemed wrong to a prophet of God that God would forgive Nineveh. God, they're not like us. Their sins aren't our sins. They don't deserve grace. They don't deserve mercy. These are people who are kind of outside of that boundary. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. By the way, if you're looking for daily devotional prayers, this is a good one. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Uh, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. By the way, if you think the Old Testament God is this evil, wrathful, awful God, you need to meditate on passages like this. Jonah is mad because he knew that God was gracious. He knew theologically that God loved everybody. And what he didn't want is for God's love and compassion to go to Nineveh because they were the them, they were the other, they were the enemy. They weren't the type of person who should be in our religious group. And God forgives them. And he's mad about that. He says, that's the whole reason I didn't want to go because I knew, you would, I knew you would show them mercy. Right? This is a prayer. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Statements like that, well, many scholars think he's a teenager. <laughs> Right. Just kill me. This is just awful. I don't want to live. Uh, verse 4. That's a joke. So I just don't think he's a teenager. Uh, verse 4. But the Lord rep- replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Right? Should you, Jonah, you're a prophet. I mean, number one, if I was the Lord, I'd be like, I'm God, shut up. You know, but he doesn't do that. He says, he did that in Job, so I think he's wanted to do other things. Uh, so here he's like, Is it right for you to be angry? Should you be angry? Now, Jonah had gone out and sat down at, the, at a place east of the city. Why? Because he wanted to watch God destroy the city, right? They're them. They're the enemy. They don't deserve grace. They're not the type of people who respond. They're not the type of people who should be in my religious group. I want to watch them be destroyed. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. And made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. The emotional life of Jonah is amazing. 
kill me now. I don't want to live. You forgave the people. Oh, the plant. That's sweet. Uh, life is worth it now. Um, so he, there's a plant. It's shading him. So he's not out under the sun, right? That's, that's, the, that's what's going on here. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. That was, that was an amazing plant, apparently. Uh, but God said, no, no, notice this. Right here, this is the whole point of the story of Jonah. And the whole point of the story of Jonah is about God's compassion and love for people that you don't think should experience God's compassion and love, for people that you think are outside of God's compassion and love. And Jonah needs to have his understanding of God's love and compassion, his understanding of what it means for him to live out that love and compassion, what it means for him to engage people that love, him, love and compassion. He's about to have all of that recalibrated. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, that you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Like literally 24 hours you had this plant, Jonah. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left, which, by the way, that might sound weird. That's kind of uh, biblical language for they, they don't understand God, right? They don't have religious understanding. They're religiously blind. And also many animals. And the book ends. Mic drop, right? Now think about this. This, this is what Jonah is about. Some of your translations will say in many cattle. Um, in many cattle. Um, this is what Jonah is about. God just kind of takes Jonah for a moment. He says, Jonah, you cared about this plant. Right? Now before you think that's silly, think about all the things that we care about in our lives. I saw a post from somebody today about their car. They're getting a new car and they're just kind of nostalgic about you know, Matt. Uh, they're nostalgic about switching cars. It's an alumnus, you know. It's not Mary. She's not sad about getting a new car. Uh, um, they're sad because they have a lot of memories with this car, right? They got a new car. I've known people who are sad when a tree in their, in their yard dies, right? I, uh, I have uh, personally been greatly saddened at my dog dying a few years ago, right? Some of you have had that experience. Some of you are sad um, about leaving your friends. Think about all the things that we begin to have compassion for that are kind of odd to have be. It's, it's odd to be compassionate about those things, about your car, about a plant, about an animal. And not to have compassion about a human being. God takes Jonah for a moment and says, Jonah, you're frustrated because this plant was, was, was com- it made you comfortable. And you are sad that it died. And yet you can't even have the slightest bit of compassion for these people who you want to die. Notice what the us versus them does. 
It robs us of compassion. It robs us from, for love. For people that God loves. And God wants Jonah to know. Notice this. You think that God is just kind of this stoic figure in the sky? Emotionless. The point of God that God is saying there is that God has compassion for these people. And think about it this way. Like almost everything that God has, He has on a larger scale than we have. You know why? Because He's God. Which means that, think about the compassion you have for objects. Think about the compassion you have for other human beings that you love. And multiply that times infinity. In a large infinity, right? We had that debate of the different size infinities, but a large infinity. And you have the love and compassion of God for everyone, for people that you think are beyond His compassion, for people that you think are beyond His love. And He wants Jonah to know that He loves and has compassion for the Ninevites. And that is why He relents. And that is why He's merciful. And, and, and put this back in the context. These are vicious, violent people who aren't like Jonah, who aren't people that you want to be friends with from a human standpoint. And God says that even though they're different than you, even though they're pagan, even though they are violent and evil and bloodthirsty and greedy, He still loves them. And He still has compassion on them. And if Jonah had the heart of God, Jonah would have jumped at the opportunity to go engage those people for God. And so, Jonah is pressing on you, particularly particularly those of you who've grown up in the faith, those of you who've grown up around church, to ask yourself, where have you, because of social or political assumptions, or maybe even religious assumptions, where have you begun to draw the line about people? Who have you written off because of their ethnic group, that, you know, they're not very, they're not very Christian ethnic group. Their nationality, their sins, their socioeconomic status. People who have these sins aren't the type of people who convert. Who have, who has God put in your path, in your life, that He wants you to show His love and compassion to them, but you don't, because you think they're not the type of people who respond. You limit God's love and compassion to them. By the way, the longer you are a Christian, the more you assume that you know who God loves. So, now to the uh, fake Nahum. You go to the Anne Lamont. So, Anne Lamont has this, and, and just let this strike you. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> right? And I think that you can safely assume that you've misunderstood the love of God if you think you know which people you should take God's love to or compassion to, which people hate God, which people don't respond to God. Because God's message to Jonah is the very people you think wouldn't respond might be the very people God is sending you to. So I want to end in uh, uh, um, maybe what might be a little awkward for you. Adam, you can just blank out that slide. Um, I want to end in what be, might be awkward for you. I, I want us to have uh, 60 seconds. When I step down, Mary's going to turn off the lights. We're going to give 60 seconds before Tommy uh, starts us in the next song. And I want you to ask yourself this question if you're a believer.
I want you to ask, who in your life has God placed in your life, but you've written them off? Because you don't think they're the type of people who respond. Right? Who in your life have you kind of, in practice, limited God's love and compassion to because you don't think they're the type of people, for whatever reason, would respond to a message about Jesus? Because it could be, it could be, and in fact, I think it's highly likely that God has put in your life people that He wants you to engage with His love and compassion. Even though they're the type of people who you think aren't the type of people <laughs> who respond. And I want you to just take, I mean, this whole series is about recalibrating your, your understanding of God and your understanding of what God's calling you to. And if you're a believer, just for 60 seconds, don't be on your phones. Try as best not to let your minds wander. And just ask, seek, pray that God helps you to see people that you have written off and ignored when He's calling you to take His unlimited love and compassion to them. Lights.